0: And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malord. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown, COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, April 20th, 2021, and I have my good friend, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you, Pam? I'm
1: good, but I'm looking outside my window, and it's very gloomy. At least the snow has stopped, but, you know, it's kind of sad because I really enjoyed the brief spring we had.
0: April 20th is kind of late to get snow, isn't it?
1: I think we do get this periodically, but I'm I'm only hopeful that it will be a very short-lived, and then we will be back to our nice
0: spring. As long as we're on April 20th, today is my parents' wedding anniversary. I won't say how many, but um, <laughs> I was born about a year after their their uh, their wedding, so about on their first anniversary. So uh, happy anniversary to my parents today. That, happy anniversary
1: and happy birthday to well, you. thank you. That
0: would give away my age, though, if I said how long they've been married. I don't care about how long they've been married. It's about my age. I'm so vain. Not well, really. we know you're
1: still in your 20s, right? Yeah, I wish.
0: <laughs> so since we last spoke last week, can you give us an idea of uh, what you've seen inside the hospital walls in terms of COVID patients? Yes.
1: Um I'm kind of sad to say we are continuing to see a slight uptick in patients. So last week we were at 22 patients with three on vents and two awaiting results. And this week we're at 27 patients with four on vents and two awaiting results. And last week we had 170 deaths and this week we have 173 deaths. So that was three deaths in a week, which was more than we've been running. So that was a little sad to me. Um, Last week, DuPage County had 85,016 patients, where this week, DuPage County has 86,547 positive patients. Um, Deaths went from 1,325 to 1,338. And for our state, we went from 1,290,000 positive people in the state of Illinois to 1,310,000 positive people in the state of Illinois and deaths went from 23,809 to 23,976. So that was an increase of over 100 and um, almost 70 uh, patients in one week of deaths for the state. Uh, The the good news is we have discharged more patients, so we went from 1,669 discharges to 1,692 discharges, and our recovery rate still remains at 97%.
0: Do you have a sense for the, you know, the kind of the average age of a COVID patient that you currently have in the hospital and maybe what that age range is, just approximately?
1: Yeah, I don't really know the average age, but I can tell you the range is a little bit lower than it was in the other um, waves of COVID. So right now we're ranging from 28 years old up to 68 years old. Before it was more up into the 70s and 80s, so it's a little younger crowd that's coming in and who are in the hospital.
0: And do uh, the majority of those have some comorbidity, some other condition that is making them suffer more, or, or are you seeing people that are otherwise healthy just have a hard time with COVID?
1: The the healthy are the minority. It's more those who have underlying health conditions, such as diabetes, hypertension, cardiac issues, or lung issues.
0: What exactly is hypertension? I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure. High blood pressure. Okay. High blood pressure. Okay. <laughs> That's an easy way of saying that. <laughs> <For>, yeah. <laughs> for me who doesn't understand. That's okay. What um, we talked a little bit, or you did last week, about um, monoclonal antibody treatments and My question is who may or may not be a candidate for that kind of treatment?
1: So I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, about who the candidates are, but I just want to explain that we have moved from monoclonal antibody treatment to polyconal antibody treatment. And so, um, that was on, on the recommendation of the CDC and the FDA. So, um, monoclonal was working really well, but there, they found that because of all the variants that the polyconal antibody treatment is going to be even better. So we have moved to that. Works similarly, so nothing, no big deal just in case someone hears the difference between monoclonal and polyconal. So it is something that um, candidates would be somebody who has not been hospitalized yet. So hospitalized patients are not candidates. And um, those requiring oxygen therapy uh, are usually over a certain oxygen flow rate. So a lot of oxygen, they would not be candidates because they're already past what the cure factor would be for the polyconal antibody treatment. Um, So those are usually not candidates if they're on some kind of high flow oxygen, if they're being uh, ventilated, or if they've required hospitalization.
0: So does that mean it needs to be early after the onset of the symptoms?
1: Yes. So within the first ten days, maximum of onset. So the sooner, the better. So what we do recommend is if you go in and you get a if you get um, tested for COVID at an immediate care, that immediately, if you're having symptoms, because sometimes you get tested because you're going on a trip or other reasons, so you're not necessarily having symptoms. But if you're having any. Symptoms, significant symptoms, you go into an immediate care or someplace to get tested. As soon as that happens, you want to check out and see if you would be a candidate to get the polyconal antibody treatment Uh, because the sooner the better. And what it will do is help prevent the the symptoms from getting worse and also you get better faster and you normally do not ever have to be hospitalized.
0: And could that be somebody that might just have a slight cough and a slight fever that would be eligible for that?
1: It depends. A slight cough and a slight fever with maybe some other comorbid conditions. So maybe they have diabetes or maybe they're um, obese or they have some kind of chronic um, pulmonary disease. They might be a candidate. Yes.
0: Are you able to tell um, from the patients who you have in the hospital right now and you've had in recently? um, First of all, I'm going to make an assumption that those patients that you're treating on an inpatient basis um have not been fully vaccinated um at least they weren't 2 weeks beyond their their second dose when they uh incurred the disease so my question is are are those folks that are not getting getting vaccines do you have a sense of whether they're they're not comfortable getting a vaccine or they just haven't been able to get it yet and they they would have if they could have
1: so what we're seeing is a variety. So most inpatients have um, have scheduled the COVID vaccine, but haven't gotten it yet. Or um, they are looking where they can get one, um, but they haven't received it. Or they've made a conscious decision to wait to receive the vaccine. And um, we've had patients inform us that what they're doing is they're watching the ongoing clinical trials before they make a final decision. And I think that I would encourage that those clinical trials are far enough along. And um, as some of the physicians have expressed to us, these kind of trials were going on long before this particular disease happened for other similar types of diseases. So it was already being tested. So it's just fine tuning it to this particular um, virus. So we, you know, it's not that it was just started for the first time when we, Ended up with this with COVID nineteen. It was already in the works for other viruses and adapted to this, so it had had testing already. So waiting um, it doesn't really help. They should get the tested, get the vaccine as soon as possible.
0: You've mentioned recently that just over seventy percent of the hospital's um, staff has been vaccinated, and my question is: Is there a difference between? medical professionals and support staff in terms of that level or are they pretty close to both about 70 percent?
1: I don't really have a a breakdown you know we are still at 71 percent but we go up and down a little bit and you might say how do you go down but we go down because we hire new employees into the organization and as we hire new employees then you know they may not have gotten vaccinated and it changes our percentage and then we have to get those people vaccinated, but I don't really have a a separation from my understanding. It is a mix. It is um, people who are professionals, uh, particularly young nurses that are are worried um, about their their future um, in terms of if they wanna become pregnant in the near future. And it is also people of different ethnic backgrounds who may have a distrust of the health system. Uh, so it's a lot of education we're we're needing to continue to do.
0: So you know that I had a question I was going to ask you later about you know the the potential and it's a hopefully a very low if if zero not zero potential of the vaccines um, causing fertility problems. And you just mentioned a, a minute or two ago that some of these vaccines or similar vaccines have been tested for a long, long time. Uh, you know, maybe to to cure other diseases. Is there any evidence or any, would you would you suggest that younger girls and women that may wanna have kids someday avoid it?
1: So first of all, uh, when the vaccine first came out because there wasn't a clear understanding of the vaccine, I think there was some questions or concerns about whether, since it had not been tested on pregnant women, whether whether it would cause any problems. But uh, since then, the American College of of Obstetrics and Gynecology stated that the COVID uh, vaccines should not be withheld from pregnant individuals. COVID-19 vaccines should be offered to pregnant uh, women who are breastfeeding, as well as as women who are, are thinking of becoming pregnant. Although the initial trials didn't include pregnant women, Pfizer is currently undergoing its first clinical trial with approximately 4,000 pregnant women, which was announced in February. So they are doing trials on pregnant women, but there's been no, uh, nothing that should suggest that pregnant women would have any problems or people, it's unfounded claims linking COVID vaccines to infertility that have been scientifically disproven. So it's already been disproven that, that it causes any infertility. So the recommendation is still to anybody who is eligible um, and who may be getting pregnant, they should get the vaccine or if they're pregnant, because the dangers of the disease is much worse than any minor potential risk from the vaccine.
0: Can you give us an update on the number of folks that EE Health is vaccinated, both uh, you know fully vaccinated and at least one, one vaccination, and then the number of employees that you've vaccinated?
1: Absolutely. So um, the number of individuals who have received at least one dose of the vaccine is 46,350. And that's from us. And then the total individuals fully vaccinated from us is 33,356. And the total number of EE health employees that we have vaccinated is 6,264.
0: You had, excuse me, you had mentioned last week that your supplies had increased a little bit for last week. Uh, How about this week?
1: Uh, we're still got enough first-dose vaccines um, at both of our locations to keep going, and we, increase, we anticipate that we're going to get an increase in availability going forward, but, you know, you never are sure until you absolutely see it. But we've been given the um, idea that we'll continue to get more availability of the vaccine. Now, we may at some point close one of our vaccine sites because we're not getting the huge number of vaccines we thought we would get, and we may be able to handle it all in one of our vaccine sites. So we're not closing anything yet, but we, if, if we continue to run at the rate of vaccines that we're getting, we would be able to handle it all in one vaccine site.
0: Do you have any more um, up-to-date information on whether or not Johnson & Johnson may come back into the area and, and be approved to be used?
1: So at this point, there is no update, but um, on this Friday, there's going to be a meeting of the Advisory Committee on immunization Practices. And once that meeting takes place, there will be further information coming out about uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. My feeling is it will be coming out soon, just as soon as they can clear it through all of these different um, people w- monitoring the side effects. But I, I I believe it will be back on the market. But right now it has to go through the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices.
0: In the last week or so, the CEO of Pfizer said that uh, it may be necessary to get a COVID booster shot about a year down the, the line for those who, who already received the Pfizer shot. Um, so my question is kind of multiple on multiple levels. One, um, do you think that it's going to be easier in the future for hospitals and other you know um, pharmacies to administer these shots on a routine basis and people won't be waiting forever to get them if that's necessary and um, will it will it be um, likely that it'll be annually thereafter from what you've read?
1: So I believe that administering should not be an issue going forward. And, you know, if we close a site, I don't think that will impact our ability to give vaccines going forward. Um, in terms of whether it will be annually, we don't know yet, but I would anticipate that it probably will at least be annual for another year um, until we have a clear idea of whether it will Resurge, and did we hit herd immunity, and um how how frequently is it going to um, change it how it appears to you know in the body, and do we have to have a different vaccine? So you know how the flu is every year, it's a different flu shot because it depends on which flu version we think we're going to have that year, and that's what they worked toward in terms of the vaccine for the year. It could end up being the same way. Or it could be like other illnesses that don't have that kind of rapid change and one vaccine works on. So we don't know yet, but I would anticipate at least another year, if not more, and if not annually.
0: I was going to kind of ask you an unfair question, but I'm going to modify what I was going to <laughs> ask you. And it relates to um, a lot of chatter I hear among people hoping that maybe, you know, next year if they do need another booster of a COVID vaccine, that it might be included in their flu shot and and I know you're you're obviously not prepared to answer that because nobody really knows but but on an on a side note are there any other vaccines that are combined with other vaccines and you get it in one shot or is that typically not happen
1: So you are not wrong it is it, it is very potentially that that could happen in the future and yes there are um there are pharmaceutical companies that would look at something like that. And we do have vaccines that we re- routinely combine together. So one is the MMR, which stands for measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. So three different diseases, three different vaccines. And there's one called the Tdap. And don't ask me. I'm, I know I could probably figure it out, but it's called Tdap. And it is combined uh, vaccine as well. So it's not uncommon. And it could be. And we can say you predicted it.
0: <laughs> well, I've heard a lot of people talking about it. It wasn't it wasn't my prediction, but uh it would certainly make life easier to just be able to get one shot, one appointment and uh get it over with, but obviously uh there's going to be a lot happening between now and then if that does happen and and uh we can certainly hope for it though. Um you know, I had read something about um some speech pathologists being concerned that some uh, mothers of very young children who might insist on wearing their own masks around their children might hinder their child's ability to learn the language um, as easily as children whose mothers didn't wear a mask around them. Have you heard anything to that effect?
1: So I think that's very interesting, Um, and it would be logical that if the mother is always wearing a mask when she's with her child and the child is is never seeing the mother speak and not looking at the lips, that it could have some effect. So, um, you know, children, when they are learning and when they're infants and toddlers, they learn from observing, not just listening, and so they do read lips. And they also read expressions. And um, when you're wearing a mask, it's harder to see the lips. You don't see the lips, and you and you see minimal expression. But they can still feel the expressions. And infants and toddlers are very resilient. And so yes, they may not have the cue of the reading the lips, but they will still have the emotion that they see. And they and they will still. It'll be more sensitive to the hearing part because they're not watching the mouth. As much, um, it's kind of like a, a blind person can hear a lot more than somebody who has sight because you're using two senses at once. So the toddler will be using more of their listening and watching other things besides the lips. So they're very adaptive. Um, what what you can do if you are worried and you want to keep that mask on, there's a couple things you can do. You can number one speak more clearly so the toddler can hear enunciation more clearly and and can learn from that, Um, and keep physical contact close so that the child can feel your emotion and and be still in touch with you, trying to mimic you through the hearing component, and or you can wear one of those clear masks, and they can still see your lips as you're talking. Um, So those are just other things, but I, I wouldn't worry too much. Children will learn, and they will grow, and they will get through this just like we all will.
0: Great. One last question I want to ask you about and it was something we talked about a long time ago early in the pandemic and that was uh your suggestion that that people that are working hard and maybe have some anxiety or other stresses in their lives kind of take a take some me time every day take a little break here and there. Do you have some suggestions on great ways to relax for 5 or 10 minutes at a time?
1: Yes. I, I think there's a couple of things that can be done. First of all, if you can get outside and just take a quick five-minute brisk walk, that's great. And deep breaths. But if you have to be inside, shutting the door and um, closing your eyes and visualizing while you're taking deep breaths, just your body relaxing, going to a different, you know, safe place, something you you really enjoy, or just feeling your muscles and and feeling from your toes, to relaxing, working up to your legs, working all the way up to your head. Just taking a few minutes with relaxation techniques and deep breathing can really make a big difference in how you handle the rest of the day and your stress level.
0: I think I'm going to try that the minute uh, we hang up here today. It's <laughs> uh, it, it's much needed today for some reason. I think I think it's the snow. I don't know. But thank you so much <laughs> for spending time with us again today. Pam and uh, I hope when we speak next that the uh, numbers of inpatients are down significantly so uh, good luck with that
1: thank you so much and again happy birthday and I hope you have a wonderful week
0: thank you the e-town lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world At nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.